The views on this podcast belong uniquely and solely to the mouths from which they emanate. You do have a lot to memorize, but it's worth it. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Linguist Podcast. I'm Jarrett. I am your host. Today, we are continuing our conversation, let's say finishing our conversation, with Miss Dina Stankovic, who is going to talk to us about Serbian and Slavic languages. What happened was the interview just went so long because it was just so interesting that You'll hear at the end of this episode, we thought we were going to split it into two, but we ended up splitting it into three because there was just a lot of interesting information. One of the things that I really enjoy about doing this podcast is learning new stuff, and I had it happen to me during this episode. (laughs) One particular term that I admit I was not familiar with, and it caused a little bit of confusion in the episode, and I decided not to cut that out because I learned something along the way, and um, perhaps you will too. I'll give you a hint. Pay attention to when she talks about phasal verbs, which I thought she was saying phrasal verbs because I didn't know about phasal verbs. And let me finish by saying this. This is one of the reasons that I love doing this podcast. And this is one of the reasons that I want to talk about the languages in the world. Because it wasn't until I started talking to Dina about Serbian that I had ever heard of phasal, P-H-A-S-A-L verbs. So we're constantly learning as we're exploring the languages of the world. And that's what this podcast is all about. Before we get started with the episode, let me remind you that you can go to the Weekly Linguist Podcast website at weeklylinguist.com, where you will see the show notes for this episode. On the show notes, we will have the words that Miss Dina mentions in the episode, uh, as well as uh, what we talk about, a list of what we talk about, and a link to her podcast, because she is a podcaster, and a, rare, and a very good one, might, might I add. Her podcast on Slavic languages is very fascinating, very interesting, and I highly recommend it. You'll notice as we get started, it basically just cuts right into the conversation, where the last conversation ended, and this one begins. So here we go with our final episode of our interview with Miss Dina Stankovic on Serbian and Slavic languages. Another really interesting thing that only Slavic languages have, that's why I wanted to mention it, we have perfective and imperfective word verbs. What that means is um, we have verbs that express perfective action, so the action that has been that has already been done and it's done, it's you're not doing it anymore. And it's actually the thing that lasted for a certain amount of time not that long, and happened only one time. Really? That's cool. Yeah. It, it actually marks one, one, one part of the action that is being successfully or not successfully um, yeah, done. So, for example, if I say, Pročitala sam knjigu, that means I'm done with reading. I read the book, and that's it. 
So one of the one other cool thing that only Slavic languages have is um, the aspect of the verb, and um, that actually means that we have perfective and imperfective verbs um, that express if the action is completed or um, not, and if the action happened only once or repeated multiple times. So, for example, um, and that's the part that's unique from English is this idea that you can express that something happened only once. That's what's unique from English. And and actually, um, it's not just that it's in, that that something happened in the past. It's that it you can literally express, for example, only the beginning of the action, only the middle of the action, only the end of the action, or the whole action that is completed. So, for example, let's say like that. Um, this is cool. Zaplivala <laughs> um, sam. So, I started swimming just by adding this prefix za. So, the word, the, the verb is plivati. And uh, I add the prefix za. So, that means I... I dove into the water. I started swimming. Then you can say plivalasam, just the verb plivalasam. So that means you spent a lot of time doing that. And it depends on the on the sentence. It depends on the context. It can either mean um, that it's completed and happened um, just then, but it can also mean that. Um, you've done it a lot of time. So you can say, So I swam, I, I, I did a lot of swimming when I was a kid. So that expresses that it happened multiple times. So it's an imperfective verb. And then you can say, So that means that you finished the action of uh, swimming with, you express it with this prefix, do. So you made it to the shore, let's say it like that. You reached the point where, where the action stops. Um, yeah, those are... Um, and these are actually prefixes. These are prefixes on the verb. Yes. So these are actually infle- inflections of the verb. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's a separate word. It's not a particle. No, 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 no. That's, no. that's, 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 just, that's affecting the verb. It's an actual prefix. It's an actual affix or... Uh, an actual inflection of the verb. Yes, yes. <laughs> very cool. Very, very cool. That's cool. <laughs> and one of the things that that is um, actually then has to do with the with the whole context, with the whole syntax of of the sentence, is that so you can use the same word to describe, so the same adverb to describe the action, and it can mean two different things depending on which aspect you use. So let me uh, demonstrate. For example, if you say, malo je pročitao, so you say, he, he read a little bit. It means the quantity of the book, how many pages, let's say. He, he read a bit, but not in time, a bit, but in, you know, he read a couple of pages or something like that. 
So this is if you use the perfective verb. So we have prochitao, and he's done. So that's the action that lasted for, for some time, and then it's done. And then if you say malo je chitao, that actually expresses time. So it's a imperfective verb, chitao. You don't have a prefix. And it marks a longer time. And you can either say malo je chitao prošle godine. So he read a little bit, like short um, in the amount of time last year so this is an action that actually repeated itself but it was it was it didn't last long each time that it um, that it happened but when saying malo je prochito this is the thing that only happened one time yesterday today three weeks ago never mind and it actually expresses the quantity um so how many pages or or um yeah um so that's the, that's the it, it makes um, the, the sentence actually completely completely different. It makes the the context actually even if you use the same word, it's malo means small in both of these um, both of these sentences, but actually expresses time and quantity. So basically, for our listeners, if you're comparing this to English, English you have certain um, it's not an exact description, but you have basically certain verb inflections or certain verb <clears throat> forms that you can express what happened in time and you can express the aspect of whether something is progressive, meaning you say like singing or whether something is perfective, sang, or we have this, uh, we can put that in the past and we can say used to sing, which was in, which is in habitual, or we can say was singing, which was progressive, but in the past. So we do, we are able to do this, but what you're saying is that, uh, you're able to give a lot more additional information, including how long something lasts, whether it only happened one time. And you can do all of that in the verb without having to add extra words like once or for a long time, or just a short time, all of that is encoded into the verb. Is that what you're saying? Because if that's true, that's fascinating. Yes. That's really, really cool. Yes, yes, yes. That's, 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 that's what I'm saying. And it's a, I mean, it's a feature um, that all Slavic languages share. So it's not um, the, the things, uh, the thing that is um, uh, only um, special in Serbian, but a lot of them have different concepts of this aspect. So you can't really 100% rely on the knowledge that you have uh, about the aspect in one language, uh, when in one Slavic language, when you're talking about the aspect in another Slavic language. So that's a thing you have to get used to. Um, but what I describe now with the certain parts of the action and everything yeah that was that was in serbian yeah so um it is it is actually a lot easier <laughs> let's say it like that to to describe your action and you can you can you can describe it in in more details you can actually i mean you can say in english i started swimming or started writing but that's another thing i mean this this zaplivati that i said this is 
this moment of you know spreading the hands in the water just just that first moment not the whole action of starting to swim this is just this first very moment when you start swimming that's so cool so the the, the these acts aspects actually um help a lot when um when you're trying to to express yourself but it can actually get really complicated sometimes even for for native speakers but usually for foreigners yeah well that means there's going to that might be one of the more difficult things for an English speaker to learn would be it sounds to me like if you've got different forms if you've got subject verb agreement and then you've got all of these different aspects you've got a lot of endings that you have to learn yes yes that is a <laughs> that is a thing that people have been complaining about when learning serbian yes with all of the prefixes um suffixes you do have a lot to to memorize but it's worth it <laughs> because there are a lot of prefixes a lot of different prefixes that express the same thing but can't be used um at the same time and can't be used um at the same with the same verb so you have to kind of know you know um if you're going to say um zaplival ili uplival which actually is also a phasal verb um it, it it expresses the same um part of the action but it has two different meanings so zaplival is as i said you know that first moment of starting to swim and uplival is actually getting into the water so the the also starting to swim but into the deep so u is in and then you kind of say uplival when you enter the water when you enter something you know you can also say it doesn't have to be specifically the the water it can also be like uplival some nevolu so metaphorically for example and you got into trouble you know you you encountered a trouble but this just as this actually accidentally stumbling upon something stumbling upon the the trouble or water or something like that is expressed with a different prefix so this is the same verb but then different prefixes you have to kind of be careful what you're going to say um because the the meaning changes with the with the prefix um yeah so this is that's not if i'm understanding right well first of all what you said of phrasal verbs phrasal verbs in in at least in english are the verbs that can take on a slightly different meaning when you put these what tend to be prepositions after them like up and down and off um uh to 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 shut means to close but to shut off might mean something down to shut down um to shut up these take different meanings these are your phrasal verbs um but so what i hear you saying is that these prefixes act a lot like adverbs am i wrong in that kind of i mean it, but not, not really. really but because they mm-hmm. they don't express the way the action is is being um is happening they literally 
change the meaning. They change the meaning of the verb. So it's, I mean, you can look at it that way, but it's not, you know, um, fast, slow, good, bad, things like that. It's actually changing of the whole meaning. I mean, the, the basic meaning stays most of the time. And there is actually um, some verbs where. The- well, like an example. So this is very much like a phrasal verb in English where you have the word blow, B-L-O-W. But if you say blow up, then it means to make something explode. Right. So it does change the meaning. But you're, so this is this is closer to what you're talking about. Something something like that, but the mm-hmm. the ground meaning stays. So it's it's not the um, it's the phase that it's being um, described. So the the phasal verbs, let's say like that. Oh, you said phasal verbs. Yeah. I thought you said phrasal verbs. That's where I got confused. Phasal verbs. Okay. Well. Cool. Okay. Okay. I don't know. The the phase also the phase they describe a certain phase in which the um, the action is 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 taking place. Um, so it's not that they change their ground meaning, they their basic meaning. Sometimes it does happen, but not that often. So you every time when you use the the the, the verb, the meaning stays. It's just that it describes a different phase. Of the action, so beginning. Now end, that makes more middle. sense. Yeah, <laughs> that makes more sense. Okay, that's where I got confused. Okay, so okay, phasal verbs. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so now I, I, I'm with you. Um, I'm with you now. Okay, okay I got yeah. you. I got you. That's why you looked confused when I was talking about phrasal verbs <laughs> because I thought you said phrasal verbs. Okay, well that makes a lot more sense. That makes yeah. a lot more sense. Well, let me ask you this. When you're all of these endings and all of these inflections that you're talking about, do you have to deal with a large list of irregular ones as well, or is the or is the inflection ability in the language fairly regular? No. No, it's not regular, or no, you don't have to deal not, with irregulars. It's not regular. It's not. Oh regular. my goodness! Then it's even harder. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. And. I mean, it it it's okay, but as I as I as I um, mentioned before, when it comes to to phonology and um, the assimilation of of the sounds, it also plays a major role in these inflections, in these um, conjugations and um, declensions, because, for example, yeah, okay, for example, you have the the word. Ruka, which is a hand, which is actually an arm, but we kind of use it for both. And so you have the word ruka, and it's a nominative. Then you have, um, and then when you want to talk, to say, I talk about the hand, about the arm, you say, uh, not oruki, but orutsi. So yeah, this is because um, a different ending comes, and then um, this is called the the second palatalization of of the Slavic languages. This actually happened in um, a lot of other Slavic languages, but then um, kind of went back 
in most of them, but in Serbian, it stayed like that. Um, for example, in Slovene, you say oruki, um, even though the same thing happened in Slovene, but they kind of like made it, undid it. Uh, but Serbian, yeah, Serbian does it. Serbian still has um, oruci. So those are the kind of irregularities that come um, that you that you come um, across. And I mean, I mentioned before the pas psa and then pasa five dogs. You right. have this um, this a that sometimes comes up and then sometimes um, you lose it. Um, those are also the the irregularities that also come come up pretty often, more than you would expect. But that's wow. what makes the Slavic language is really beautiful <laughs> for for those of us who actually uh, who actually not don't have to think about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you, you you had the advantage of getting to grow up with it. But you know, it's interesting because one of the based on everything you've told me today, I have. I feel like some things would be easier than English and some things would be harder than English. I, I, I'm particularly attracted to the idea of having a one-to-one sound correspondence between yeah. your grapheme and your, and your, because between your grapheme and your sound, because that makes reading very easy. Yes. Um, yes. This that's, is that's one of the, the major complaints about English. And I wouldn't really, if it was me, I wouldn't change the, the English spelling because it records history, right? The way yes. things used to be used to be pronounced. But I like this. So <clears throat> let me ask you this quick question. And then uh, this might end up being two episodes, but I've often said when I'm teaching my students in French, that if you know the rules of the language, 99.9% of the time with a, a very small number of exceptions, you can look at the word and pronounce it. But if you hear the word, you can't necessarily, you cannot necessarily spell it where in Portuguese, which I also speak, you can go both ways. You can, for the most part, spell a word you hear, and you can also pronounce a word that you see. So in English, neither one, neither one works. You're not, you cannot look at a word and know exactly how to pronounce it and you cannot hear it and then know how to spell it. So would you say that Serbian will go both ways or one way or the other? Well, um, I mean, that also depends on the word because, um, as I said, there are some exceptions. Uh, also with this simulation thing, a simulation of the sounds, um, for example, you have the word um, for president, which is predsednik, and you hear the, wor- the, the sound s, predsednik, but then you write the s. So, but those are... A couple of words. This is not the the common thing. Those are those are the couple of words that actually um, stayed like that. But for most of the time, the time, I think you would be. I mean, if you turn off your brain that speaks other languages that represents um, different sounds with the same graphemes, you can easily, yeah, write down everything that, that that that's being said to you, and you can read what is written down. Um, but one tricky thing with the reading is actually the word stress, because word stress is not fixed. Word stress shifts back and forth, and there is actually no 
specific rule for that, you know, that you can say, yes, for example, in Czech, um, it's always the first stress, uh, the first um, syllable that's being stressed. In Serbian, you don't have that kind of rule. So you have to kind of learn it with, uh, with the word. Okay, so for our for our listener, for our listener, you're not saying that in different spe- in different slots in the sentence, like in different in different cases, that a single word can move its stress. What you're saying is you cannot predict the stress of a particular word. So where you might have, um, let's think of a word, um, alligator. What you're saying is. There is no general rule as to, in that word, where the stress will be found. You're not yes. saying that one word can be stressed in different spots in different, in different ways. I'm also saying that. Really? Okay. Well, there you have it. There you have yeah, it. Yeah, that, that happens too. That happens too. That, um, yeah, same word, um, different cases, you have different stress. But gen- generally, if we're speaking about someone that doesn't know the language and has the word written down, what I wanted to say with, with saying that the, the, the stress um, shifts is that you have to, I mean, you can assume and maybe it will be true, uh, maybe it will be correct, but you kind of have to learn it with, uh, with the word distress, which is actually not that hard. Uh, but for example, me, I I am a native speaker and I come from the uh, southern part of Serbia, which speaks that Turlakian dialect that I was talking about um, before. And um, yeah, I sometimes don't know um, if I'm stressing the word in the right um, the right <laughs> way. <laughs> yes, I'm sometimes really confused because yeah, um, as I said before. Um, um, you know, it comes. It comes to the point where where the this hypercorrection is um, present, where you um, really try to pronounce the word uh, the right way, and then you have this pattern in your head, and then it's wrong uh, because you don't use that in your everyday speech. You you tend to um, stress the words differently. So what we do, we shift the stress always to the to the last syllable. And um, then when we want to speak um, proper standard Serbian, we tend to uh, stress the first syllable, um, which is sometimes wrong. Sometimes it's not like that. Um, Yeah, but I sometimes get confused with that. So it's, I mean, if you know everything else and you you put the stress um, in the wrong, at the wrong syllable, um, you'll be understood. It's not like... um, it's not like the the word changes its meaning. It's just you know sounds wrong, but it's 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 not that tragical. For example, in Russian, it can happen that if you um, if you put the stress the wrong place, the word changes its meaning. So you have to be careful with that. Right. Right. Well, I appreciate you talking to us. This is fascinating. We um, we've. We had some technical difficulties and we went for a long time, but I think I might go ahead and split this one up into two uh, podcasts, two episodes, because uh, yeah, this was, this was really interesting. Maybe I need to put uh, Serbia on my travel list and uh, you know, me and my, yeah, me and the fam can maybe one of these days come over and, 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 and get a chance to, to visit. I've never been further East 
well, going, you know, through Europe, I've never been further east than Italy. Serbia actually has everything open right now, all of the restaurants, all the cafes, despite the pandemic. So yeah, if you want to visit, now it's a good time. Now's, now's the time to do it, huh? Yeah. In closing, remember to check out the show notes at weeklylinguist.com. There you will find further information about this episode, like more information about the guest, select bibliography, any resources mentioned in this episode. You can also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and others. As the saying goes, if you enjoyed the podcast, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell us. You can tell a friend by rating us five stars on iTunes and by writing a glowing endorsement in the reviews. Don't forget to subscribe when you're done. And follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Weekly Linguist. So for any feedback, positive or critical, write to us at podcast at weeklylinguist.com. Tell us what you think, what we're doing well, what we can do better, or even suggest a topic for an upcoming episode. Music